Welcome to part five in this extended teaching series on the question, is it a sin to be gay? And we have been looking at a number of related questions as it connects to the whole cultural conversation we're having both inside and outside of the church about LGBT issues. And in particular, in this teaching, we're going to talk about the question, what does it mean to be transgender? This is a little bit of a different kind of conversation than just strictly the gay and lesbian discussion. So I wanted to take more extended time to go into this. And when we think about the T in the acronym LGBT, that stands for transgender. And many of us are familiar with the rainbow flag, which has come to be a symbol of the gay community. But the trans community is kind of a subgroup of the gay community, and they have their own flag, which is pictured right here. So if you happen to see this flag, you'll know that that is referring to transgender people. And in fact, here's their symbol as well. I've put it right next to the flag so that you can see uh, if you ever see this symbol, you'll know that this is referring to transgender. So as we've done in other episodes, we're going to consider both models. We're going to first start off with the progressive view. And this can both be progressive in our culture as well as progressive evangelicals or progressive Christians from within the church. So what is the progressive view of transgender issues? Now, we might have seen uh, one of these magazine covers in recent years, the very famous now Caitlin magazine cover for Vanity Fair, when Bruce Jenner, who is arguably the most famous transgender person, uh, started identifying and dressing as a female. And then this more recent cover from National Geographic talking about the whole gender revolution and what is happening in the emerging generation and how their thinking is changing about gender. So we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. You may have also seen uh, the new CoverGirl uh, for the makeup line. CoverGirl is actually a guy. And uh, this is a post from his Instagram account when he was making the big announcement that he was going to now be uh, the new face for CoverGirl makeup and uh, showing him wearing makeup. And there you can see in that picture just kind of the blending of gender that's happening uh, there for him. So when we think about the, the, even the term gender, when we're coming at it from the perspective of within our culture, within the progressive, more liberal slant to things, let's start with a very, some very basic definitions. In this point of view, gender is a, nothing more and nothing less than a social construction. It's basically how society thinks that men and women should act. And this can vary from society to society. And it connects to things like jobs. What kind of jobs are appropriate for men? What kind of jobs are appropriate for women? It can be about our clothes. You know, is it okay for men to wear dresses and women to wear pants? And it can even relate to our behavior. Aggressive behavior is seen often as being more of a male type behavior. Compassion and empathy is often viewed as being more of a female type of behavior. 
And so these people that hold to the idea that gender is nothing more and nothing less than just a social construction will make, often use the example of, we'll see in some societies, like in Scotland, it's okay for men to wear dresses. They just call them kilts. In the Middle East, they wear dresses, uh, long dresses, the men do. And so there's nothing inherently male or female about anything. There's nothing inherently male or female about clothing. That's just a neutral, natural thing that we do. And who's to say really that compassion is more of a female trait or aggression is more of a, of a male trait? I mean, what if you had uh, a woman who was a strong leader? Would she be perceived as being aggressive? Is that man behavior? Uh, what if we were to think about jobs? Are there only certain jobs that only guys can do? You know, if you're married, like the husband cuts the grass and the woman does the dishes and the cooking. Are these really gender issues or are they the result of social convention, social construction, a common agreement in our culture? Men these days change diapers and cook. And are they acting like women when they do that? And many people would say no, and that many of our, our roles and our stereotypes about what men and women do and how they act and how they dress has changed. And so the people within the LGBT community will often use these examples then to say, see, this is no big deal. Everyone should be allowed to express themselves however they want to. Now let's continue to look at some additional definitions that will help our conversation. The first one is biological sex. Now, when our culture talks about sex or biological sex, what they're talking about is male-female body parts. They're talking about the physical body parts, what you mark on a card that says, I'm a male, I'm a female, I'm a boy, I'm a girl, okay? So it's birth assignment. This is a matter of chromosomes. This is a matter of science. This is a matter of medicine. That is what sex is. Then there's another term you may hear called gender expression. And this is, uh, in our culture, how people present themselves to others. Do I present myself to the outside world as being masculine or feminine or some version of both, some blending of both male and female traits? Gender identity is another concept in our culture. This refers to how you feel on the inside. Are you a full-time male, which is FTM? Are you a full-time female? Or are you something in between full-time male, full-time female? Are you gender fluid? Do sometimes you like to lean more in the male direction or sometimes in the more in the female direction? All right, and this is also the world of transgender. Are you in the process of transitioning from male to female or from female to male. Now, some people in our culture will claim that they have two or more genders. They're bi-gender or tri-gender or even pan-gender. They like to experiment with all genders. And others will claim that they have no gender at all. They call these people agender, non-gender, genderless, gender-free. So you might start encountering these terms. And in fact, if you have a Facebook account, you could now customize your gender. 
So they have the male-female, which is your sex assignment, your biological sex. But if you decide you want to identify as some other gender, you can actually click custom. And you can type in your own gender. And you can even tell Facebook how you want Facebook to refer to you. Are you a female? So on your, on your birthday, is Facebook going to alert your friends to say, Krista Bontrager, wish her a happy birthday? Or do you want it or him or, or some other pronoun to refer to you? You can customize your pronoun. And so what this shows us is that we are living in a culture where everything is self-defined. We have this term now called self-identifying. So I can self-identify as almost anything. And I'm going to explain more about that in just a moment. Finally, we need to understand the term sexual orientation. And this is where I think many people who are not involved in this conversation get very confused. They're like, how can Bruce Jenner, who's a man, by his biological sex, all of a sudden start self-identifying as a woman, as a full-time female. So what's he going to do now? Is he going to date men? So is he gay? What is he? And what we have to understand here is the difference between uh, gender identity and sexual orientation. These are two very different concepts in our culture. Sexual identity, gender identity, is how we perceive ourselves. So Bruce Jenner now perceives himself as Caitlyn Jenner. He perceives himself as a woman. So his sexual orientation, he would still say he's straight because he's going to potentially, he's going to date men. But because he's no longer self-identifying as a man, he doesn't, he's not gay, he's straight. He's, he's self-identifying as a straight woman that is his gender identity, and he wants to date men. So he's not gay, okay? So this is very confusing, I think, for some people. But if, so if you identify as a different gender, but then you're dating the opposite gender, you're not gay. You're straight in our cultural definition of things. And this can get rather confusing very quickly. But this is also uh, under the rubric of what it means to be bisexual. You might be attracted to both genders. You might be pansexual. You're just attracted to male, female, or anything in between. Or you might even be asexual. You're just not attracted to anyone. So sexual orientation is who are you attracted to, okay? So this is a little crash course on all of this terminology. So the next question is, is why do we need to be trans-affirming? In the progressive community, in the culture, why is it important? Why is it seen as being morally noble to be trans-affirming? Well, often they'll, they'll refer you to a Swedish study from a few years ago that makes, uh, throws out some numbers that says transgender individuals have a suicide rate of 45%. Uh, and that's in comparison to the general population, which has a suicide rate of about 1%. And so then the conclusion is drawn, see, gender reassignment surgery is a noble thing. Hormone suppression in teenagers is a wonderful thing, potentially saving uh, many people's lives. 
and, and saving them from things like depression and anxiety as well. Because we don't want trans people to, to kill themselves. And they're so depressed because nobody accepts them. So the, the path to accepting them in our culture is gender reassignment surgery. This is the most radical way of doing it. And often what happens is the person starts dressing as the other gender, identifying with the other gender, other gender and then presenting themselves as, to the world as that gender. And then if they want to go to the extreme, begin to take hormones and actually change their body parts, change their sexual assignment to match their gender. And often when you talk to trans people, if you ask them, well, how do you know that you're transgender? They will give you answers like this. Females will report experiences like, I never liked playing with dolls. I never wanted long hair. When my mom put me in a dress, I would cry and cry. It was just torture. Males often report things like, I would dress up in my sister's clothes and play with her dolls. And, and pretty much males and females both report experiences where they'll say, I always felt different from my peers. So these are things that if you ask a transgender person, how do you know you're transgender? Usually you'll get answers, something along these lines. One thing I think is interesting is that the, on the one hand, the trans community will tell us that gender is 100% social convention. Clothes are social convention, jobs are social convention, uh, how we present ourselves, uh, to the outside world is all social convention. But then they will tell you these stories, well, I didn't fit into the stereotypical ways of being, so therefore I think I'm the other gender. Well, if it's all social convention, who cares? If it's all social convention, who cares what you liked playing with when you were a kid, whether you're a little girl who liked Star Wars and Spider-Man or whether you were a boy who thought dolls were in playing house was kind of cool. If it's all social convention, then it can't point to a gender. It's just all neutral. And so I find this a little confusing when I talk to people because the trans community will point to these stereotypes as evidence that they're trans, and yet they're very busy telling me it's all meaningless anyways. So that's always a little confusing to me. But the goal here in all of this, from the progressive point of view, is to normalize. And we've been saying that all along. They want us as a society to undergo a cultural persuasion that uh, being gender fluid and exploring your gender is all normal. So they will tell people, explore who you are, create who you want to be, how you want to present yourself to the outside world, and then express that. And that, for them, is the definition of freedom. And we're going to watch a little short video clip here of a new toy that is being um, manufactured to try to help children in this process to begin to explore their gender and to normalize the idea that gender is just 100% a social convention. So let's look at that now. Meet Sam the world's first educational transgender toy. Sam is designed to teach young children about what it means to grow up transgender. By illustrating the emotions felt by many children who question their gender identity, Sam encourages understanding and empathy through play. Each toy represents a common emotional step that many transgender children experience as they grow older. Happy, exploring, 
questioning, conflicted, isolated, and finally, supported. SAM was designed in Montreal by Romeoe Fiss and Shed and will be manufactured out of toy-grade BPA-free PVC. SAM is 100% safe for children to play with and 100% safe for adults to talk about openly. Inside every SAM toy is a heart that represents the you inside. However a child chooses to express themselves on the outside, it's important to understand that it doesn't change who they are on the inside. Please help us bring Sam to life by pledging whatever you can. The more kids can play with Sam, the better. Every child can learn something new from Sam. And adults can too. Now what the toy manufacturers want us to learn from playing with this Sam doll is that every trans person kind of follows this, this pathway, this journey, if you will. And that this is just ought to be looked at as a normal, healthy part of growth. And if we as a culture could just understand that some people have this normal journey that for them is normal, we could accept it, these suicide rates among trans people would fall. And this is what is looked upon as being morally good or morally noble to progressives. Now, obviously, you very quickly get into some very difficult questions uh, on this issue is, what are the limits to self-identity? So let me see if I can explain the, the conundrum here is that if we're not going to go by physical sex assignment, if we're not going to go by chromosomes, if we're not going to determine our gender based on our sex, what are the limits to self-identity? For example, this was a news story from just a couple of weeks ago. This headline was trending. It says, doctoral student identifies as a hippopotamus tranimal and says it makes him feel sexy. So if I'm not going to go by my biology, can I self-identify as anything? Can I self-identify as a hippopotamus? And do, can I customize that on my Facebook account? Is it, what are the limits to self-identifying if the issue of gender is in my mind and not in my physical body? And this is a very important point for you to understand. In, is that gender for the progressives is a mind problem. It's in the mind. It's how I perceive myself and how I want to present myself to the outside world. And that can be completely different than my anatomy. And it has no connection to my anatomy. Gender is not the same as sex. Sex is anatomy. Gender is my mind. So if in my mind I want to self-identify as a hippopotamus, shouldn't I have the freedom to do that, regardless of what my physical anatomy is? It seems to me like this story is just a logical extension of that, of that way of thinking. Here's another one, a little more disturbing, is here's a 52-year-old father who self-identifies as a six-year-old girl. And he has been adopted by another couple and they allow him to play with their eight-year-old daughter. But 
again, if, if we're not going to base things on a natural reality of what my sex assignment is or what my age is, and everything is a matter of my mind, if I feel like I'm a six-year-old girl, regardless of my sex assignment, then I should have the freedom to do that. So the question is going to become among the progressives is how far are you willing to go with this? And I think that's a fair question to ask them, to say how far are you willing to go with gender just being in our mind, being separate from our sex, and how far are you willing to push those boundaries of self-identification? Now let's take a look at the traditional view of gender and sex. In the traditional view, transgender is clinically was referred to until fairly recently as a psychological uh, disorder called gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria was in the psychological diagnostic manual for decades. But the idea of gender dysphoria is really not a term that is used much among clinicians anymore because we have this new term of transgender where we try to help people go on a journey like the doll Sam. But gender dysphoria for decades was looked upon as being a psychological disorder. And here is kind of a quick and dirty definition of that, is that something happens that brings the person's physical body, their sex assignment, their chromosomes, out of alignment with their soul. In other words, their self-perception, their gender identity. And this is where we get the separation of sex and gender. So for them, in the traditional position, sex and gender go on top of each other. My sex determines my gender. But our culture has now separated these two ideas. So I can have a sex of being a female, but I can present myself to the world as a male. I think in my mind like I'm a man, and then I can eventually have medical reassignment surgery to actually uh, change my physical body to come into alignment with my mind. And this often uh, was thought, when it was a psychological problem, it was often uh, work that these people would do in therapy would be to uncover like the root causes of why it felt unsafe for them to be a certain gender and want to be another gender. Why did it feel unsafe or better to be a woman if I'm a man? Or why did it feel safer or better to be a man than a woman? These were kind of some of the core issues that people would wrestle through in therapy who suffered from gender dysphoria. And really gender dysphoria is a, a kind of a logical extension of homosexuality or same-sex attraction. The, the goal really is to bring our bodies, our physical bodies, our sex into alignment with our soul or our gender. And we want to bring these things into peaceful alignment. So sometimes within the LGBT community, people will start out as being lesbian or gay. And then the deeper they get into it, they start realizing, I don't really want to be a lesbian. I really want to be a man. And I want to date women. I don't want to be a woman dating a woman. I want to be a man dating a woman. 
or I want to be a woman dating a man. I don't want to be a man dating a man. I want to become a woman and date a man. And they will first take on the role of this other gender. They will present themselves to the world as a different gender. They will dress according to that gender. And then they eventually want to more and more move into that gender through hormone replacements or even sexual uh, reassignment and alteration of their physical organs. So really transgender is uh, kind of the natural extension for many people of being gay. And so you might know people who are kind of gay first or lesbian first, and then they transition to being transgender, and, and that's why. But really there's only two options if you have gender dysphoria. If you don't like your gender, you're born with your sex assignment, I'll say I'm born as a woman, but I don't like being a woman, I wanna be a man. I got two options. I can either, in the traditional view, I can either align my soul or my gender with my physical body. I can do things like we talked about in the last episode. I can, I can um, overcome lies. I can learn my identity in Christ. I can repent of my sins. I can do all of these things to try to bring my soul into alignment with my physical body. Or in the progressive view, I align my physical body with my soul. I begin to dress differently and I begin to change my hormones, and I can even consider changing my organs. But the goal is the same. Do you see that? The goal is peaceful alignment of our body and soul. It's just two different pathways to get there. That's the main difference between the traditional view and the progressive view. How do we resolve gender dysphoria? Now, there's a bunch of ethical considerations that we can raise from the traditional point of view. Here's just a few of them. Have we adequately measured the mental and emotional effects of sex reassignment surgery? This is major surgery that we're talking about, multiple surgeries. Have we really scientifically looked at the results of that? What are the effects of these surgeries over the long haul for people that undergo them? Since gender identity can actually change over time, it's called gender fluidity, how young is too young to start hormones to begin suppressing puberty? This is a very large question because it is a fairly well-known um, observation, although not talked about very much, that many people who used to self-identify as gay or lesbian then went back and they went to being straight. And they came out of that lifestyle. They went into it, and then they came back out of it. And um, this is especially true for women. Women seem to have a pretty high degree of gender fluidity and going back and forth on that spectrum and finding different levels of comfort as they go. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of decisions I made when I was 15, 16 years old. I don't think I'd want them to be permanent decisions in my life. I, I did some stupid stuff when I was a teenager. When we start talking about suppressing puberty through hormones, um, and have we really had a, a vigorous debate in our culture as to how young uh, people can be and really make these decisions for themselves that are gonna have a lifetime of effects? I think that's a pretty important ethical consideration. 
Have we had a vigorous discussion about the side effects of hormone therapy on a 16-year-old? I think that's a question that needs to be debated uh, more. Is anyone questioning whether a 16-year-old or even a 6-year-old is old enough to make this kind of decision in the first place? That is a huge question. Many children grow up and they, they think, because they see the cultural stereotypes, they think that, oh, well, only little boys play with Spider-Man. Maybe I'm a boy. Maybe I should start hormone replacements. Or maybe you might grow out of it. And parents are kind of freaking out about this. And so I think that we have to kind of calm down a little bit and start having a more um, rigorous discussion within our culture about the kinds of decisions that we're trying to push onto younger and younger children that are going to have lifelong, potentially devastating effects on them. Have we fully considered the effects of a complete hysterectomy might have on an 18-year-old girl? Given how fluid gender is, especially among women, and let's say a, a 16, 17, 18-year-old girl wants to have a hysterectomy because she thinks she's a boy right now, and then she regrets it when she's 32 and she wants to come out of that lifestyle, there's, there's been some pretty permanent decisions that have been made at that point. So how can we begin to respond to these things from a traditional point of view? Here's how I see this, is once again, this is a creation issue. If God does not exist, then the world that the progressives are trying to move us into makes perfect sense to me. It, it really does on many levels because we are sort of autonomous creatures. We're in charge of ourselves and we can pretty much define our own morality and do whatever we want. That makes sense to me. But if God exists and if he's the creator, then according to Genesis 1, God sets the boundaries and functions of his creation. See, this... The LGBT question, and I hope you're getting the ethos of this by now, is really a creation issue. It's not a, a random, detached issue. This is an origins issue. This is a Genesis issue. In Genesis 1, we see over and over again that God sets boundaries. He tells the, the, the sun, you're going to rule the day, and he tells the moon, you're going to rule the night. He's setting the boundaries. And when God sets up the boundaries of what's good, if you look through Genesis 1, he says he created the sun, moon, and stars, and it was good. He created the night and day, and it was good. He created the animals, and it was good. He created all of these things. And then there was something in chapter 2 that was not good, and that was that the, the man was alone, and that he needed a woman. I mean, the way that God has set up the boundaries of what human sex is, is that it requires a man and a woman. The body parts don't work if it's two men or two women without some modifications. And God labels what is good. This is a very important point because God as the creator has the right to call some things good and some things not good. And we, as his creation, need to receive those labels and designations as here are the things that are good and here are the things that are not good. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is that humans then try to redefine good and evil. 
Eve eats of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. She doesn't want to just go with what God ordains. She wants to explore. She wants to go down a path of her own choosing. And to me, what's happening in our culture right now with the LGBT conversation is essentially an example of Genesis 3, Genesis 1 to 3, replaying itself over and over and over again. We can either accept God's designations as the creator of what's good and not good, and we can accept his designations of what is good and evil, or we can try to redefine and explore good and evil on our own. This is the whole thing in a nutshell. So if you're in the traditional stream, the question of how do I come out of gender dysphoria? What is the pathway out of gender dysphoria? Well, if our soul has come out of alignment with the created order, our sex assignment, our physical chromosomes, then what we need to work on is our soul. We need to, again, undergo a process of spiritual transformation. We need to repent of uh, coming into agreement with these thoughts and these lies and these deceptions. And we need to change our behavior and our choices and we need to go down a different path. The key to coming out of gender dysphoria, it's not the whole thing, but it's the foundation of it, is repentance. Adopting God's definition of our sex and labeling all thoughts to the contrary as being a result of demonic deception. That is the foundation of coming out of gender dysphoria. Now, I've had people write to me and they'll say, you know, I'm a man, I'm married, I've struggled with gender dysphoria for 30 years, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I still want to be a woman, what do you think I should do? Well, my my question to that type of person, who I know you're out there and you're watching this video because you're curious what what I think, and my answer to that is, if you still think you want to become a woman, then you really have not repented. Because repentance means you're going in a different direction. And this is why I I totally disagree with the saying to pray the gay away or to pray the trans away. I don't think God works like that. I don't think God's going to just like, if if I beg him hard enough, he's going to magically remove my urges. Rather, the pattern of scripture is repentance. I change my behaviors. And as I change my behaviors, God then begins to work with transforming my urges and thoughts. But if I'm constantly still dwelling on the idea and flirting with the attractiveness of the other sex and the other gender, then I really haven't repented. My heart hasn't changed. I am still flirting with the seductive attraction of trying on the idea of going down this other path. And that's the same for homosexuality too. You can't pray the gay away. You can't beg God to take your desires away. God will let you keep your desires until you're ready to repent. And when you're ready to repent and you're ready to go a different direction, and you're ready to make different choices 
and different expressions of who you are, Jesus will rush in and begin to change those thoughts, feelings, desires, and urges. But he will not magically take them away from you. So if you're still meditating on these things, start a conversation with the Lord about whether or not you've truly repented of the seductive attraction of these thoughts. I'm going to play a couple of video clips right now. Now, the first one is a montage that I've created of several people who have come out of being uh, transsexual or transgender. And so they were born with one sex assignment. They went down the path of a different gender and presenting themselves to the world as their opposite gender. And then they came back to their birth sex. And um, so we're going to hear their testimonies and a little bit about their struggle and what brought them down the path of having and struggling with gender dysphoria. The second clip we're going to see is of an African-American lady who is a, was a hip-hop artist. She's a spoken word poet, and she has a powerful spoken word poem that she's written. And we're going to watch the whole thing of her experience from first into lesbianism and then presenting herself to the world as a man. And then a little, it also contains a little of her testimony of finding the real Lord Jesus Christ and coming to peace with her sex and her gender. Let's watch those now. So I grew up without a father until I was about four. I had a stepfather that came into the picture that he was a very um, abusive man as well. And he was an alcoholic. I didn't feel very safe with him and I didn't trust men. At an, at an early age. My sexual abuse started when I was, I would say five years old, five or six. And it started from um, family members and I never really said anything about it, but it started at a very young age. And then it started happening with peers that were older than me and it started to, to happen and, and I didn't know what to do. I thought it was normal. I was safer around women and I liked to be around girls and all of my friends were girls. And I had an older brother who was the exact opposite of, of, of me. I was more on the feminine side. My brother was more on the masculine side. But um, I grew up with just tremendous amount of gender uh, confusion. I was confused about gender. I wanted to be more like a girl and I didn't like being a boy. And you can imagine what that was like in school. I was teased tremendously in school by my peers. By the age of 14, I started seeking counseling. And um, I had been in counseling before, but counselors had never addressed the gender confusion. They had never addressed the same sex attraction that I was experiencing. And finally, when they, when they addressed it, they actually affirmed me in it and they encouraged me to embrace the homosexual lifestyle. And I thought there was no hope out of this life. And I thought, well, I might as well just embrace it, you know? Then at the age of 17 and a half, I started be dressing up as a drag queen and wanting to be a woman. And cause I would grow, I grew up watching these cross dressers and I thought, well, this is my 
I, I'm going to live this fantasy of wanting to be a girl. And so I did. And by the age of 18, I started to compete in pageants. And by the age of 19, I started to um, compete in professional pageantry. And I actually went all the way to a professional pageant in Texas for, for, for drag queens. It was actually called the Miss Gay Texas Pageant. I was one of those people who thought I was a boy living in a girl's body. I thought that somewhere in the mix of God making me that he had made a mistake and that somehow I had to live with this curse of me having to be a girl. My mom would dress me up at church, dress me up on Sundays in a pretty dress and, uh, and, and curl my hair and I would stand in front of the mirror and I would just cry because I hated it so much. I hated it so much. I would pray at night. I would pray and I would say, God, please make me a boy. Please make me a boy. Please make me a boy. Like I literally thought this was possible and, and I liked girls too. From a very young age, I liked girls, and, 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 and I actually hated it because it, I went through major heartbreaks because I would have feelings for people that didn't make any sense. That no, I had feelings for people that would go nowhere. It's not even something you could act on. It was something that didn't make sense, that you were an outcast. And I had these feelings that you would just get broken hearts because there's no one that's ever going to feel the same way about you that you feel about them. It was a summer day, and we had, we, I grew up in a tiny house with a big yard. And I was running around without my shirt on because by then I knew I already wanted to be a boy. So I was already acting out. My shoe had come untied. And so I went up to my mom and I asked her, will you please tie my shoe? And she's like, I won't until you put your shirt on. And then I'm like, okay. So I just took my shoes off and ran around because I didn't want to put my shirt on because then that would make me a girl. I viewed my dad, you know, he emotionally uh, was abusive to my mom as well as verbally. I did see my dad hit my mom. It was only like twice. I know that's twice too many, but um, as far as, you know, physical abuse, there wasn't really anything. My dad uh, was a very jealous man, very insecure. I realize now he's very narcissistic. So it was pretty much all about him. But in the verbal abuse and in the emotional abuse, uh, I watched my mom crumble underneath that. And the way my dad did these things, my little mind came to the conclusions that women are hated, women are vulnerable, and women are weak. And that's why he was picking on my mom, basically. And so when I looked at all of that, I'm like, okay, so I'm like my mom, and my dad's this way, and my mom's that way, and I don't wanna be hated. You know, I don't wanna be weak. I don't want to be vulnerable, so what else do I have but to become a man? When I was 11, I have an older half-brother, and he began to molest me. And even though I felt that it was wrong, you know, I had that lie in there, women are weak and women are vulnerable. So he was taking advantage of me, believing I was weak and vulnerable, not knowing how to stand up to him. And also knowing that if I told my dad, my dad would probably beat the living stuff out of him. My mom would probably deny it as she did with anything else when confronted. She would be like, no, your dad's okay. The way he's treating me is okay. And so I grew up in this really unhealthy atmosphere. I was probably molested by my older brother until I was like 13. And I don't know why he stopped. I was just glad that he did. <laughs> but those are the things that the Lord has shown me that 
you know, stirred all in there. And then those lies were affirmed along the way too. I had met a girl at one of those dances I was at. And so she became my girlfriend and I would go out and pick her up and we'd go out on dates. And I was totally lying to my parents where I was going. Eventually that caught up with me because this mom was kind of putting it together and um, she called my parents and then my parents confronted me. That was when I told them I wanted to be a man. And my dad pretty much told me, we will not talk about this again. You are not gonna do that. And then when I became 19, I got out of the house. I started doing my research to find out who would help me. I went to a doctor and he's like, yeah, I can start you on hormones. So I moved out of the house and uh, I began the hormones and I thought I was free. I was like, yeah, I'm finally here. I have arrived, I am free. This is, this is my life. I saw myself as a heterosexual male and to date women as a male was normal. It, I never viewed myself really as a woman per se, other than that was the part that I hated. That was the part that was I was constantly pushing down and um, being detached from as far as any identity, sexual identity as a woman or gender or anything. I totally wanted to be male. Because my mom wasn't nurturing, there's this nurture thing that I was missing. And I believe that's why I thought wanting to be with women was, was normal because a lot of the women that I would choose would be very nurturing, very gentle, very soft, ones that needed to be protected. Because one of the vows that I made is that I'm gonna be the man my dad is not. I'm not gonna be an abuser. I'm not gonna be those things that he is. So I took the hormones. Um, of course, right away, uh, I started filling out muscularly. I started getting acne and um, started to grow a beard. And I think from, so I started at the age of 19. And I think from 19 forward, I don't think I was ever without a mustache once I was able to grow one. It was part of my identity. You know, as I viewed my mom, I'm like, you were never very safe. And so I'm gonna be strong, I'm gonna be tough so that no one, no one can take advantage of me. I won't be weak and I can protect the women that need protection. And after I broke up with her, I immediately got into another relationship with a woman. I was on the rebound. And uh, after about a year of dating her, we were fighting a lot. And I woke up one morning and I realized, oh my gosh, she's my mom and I'm my dad. And I'm like, I I'm abusing her just like my dad did. Maybe not to the same degree, but it was close enough to realize I can't be doing this to her. I, I have become everything that I vowed I would not be. When it all started for me, I was about four years old. And my grandmother was, um, for whatever reason, enjoyed cross-dressing me. And by the time I was five, uh, she had made me a purple chiffon full-length dress. And so when grandpa was gone and my parents dropped me off at her house to be babysat, usually a couple of times a month, that was the routine. Grandma would dress me up as a little girl and she just would get excited about me being a little girl. She liked me better as a little girl. She really reinforced that female appearance of mine and the seed had gotten planted and was watered by my grandmother about my identity and that began this two-sided view of who I was because when I was at home, I was just a ruffian little boy with tore up blue jeans and scuffed up tennis shoes. And I was a rough little kid playing in the dirt. But still inside here, I had that image. I heard those words. I 
had those, I wanted that same kind of affirmation and feeling from uh, when I was a boy from everybody like I was getting from grandma when I was a little girl, but I wasn't getting that. As a family, we were living in Southern California and started going to Forest Home Christian Conference Center regularly. We'd go for couples conferences and family conference. And every time we went someplace, it was really connected to the conference center and trying to connect with my relationship with Christ. I was trying to build that. But I was also still struggling. Uh, the struggles just wouldn't seem to go away. That, that seed that grandma planted continued to grow and it continued to live in my head as if it was real, as if it was alive and well on its own, even though it wasn't out here. As I began to deal with this, uh, there were times when I would then go out cross-dressed uh, just to relieve the stress. It was my stress reliever. Well, that wasn't enough. So then I, I began to use alcohol to help relieve the stress. At all the time, I'm married now with two kids. Uh, I'm going out. Nobody's knowing this. I'd find a place far away from home to do this because I had the funds and ability to do that. And eventually, um, I left the aerospace industry and took a job in the, the automotive industry. And I, that gave me a, a great deal more latitude because they would send me far away from home. So that gave me, and I had an expense account. So uh, I was free pretty much to stay in hotels, cross-dress, go out, still do my work. I, was, I became one of the most successful people in the company that I was working for and got promoted and got promoted. By this time, I was still struggling, still cross-dressing, still married. The shame of what I was doing was too much to talk to anybody about. So where, where I started this as a child and not talking, lived through it. My, that secret that my grandma gave me, you know, I kept that secret as far as what was going on. I knew how to keep a secret. In 45 minutes, he looked at me and he says, you've, you're, you've got gender dysphoria. And what you need to do is uh, undergo gender reassignment surgery, take hormones, and, and just completely change and become a female. And I waited two years. And during that two years, the, the pressure cooker, I, maybe from hearing it, maybe from grandma, maybe from the radio playing in my head, maybe from the sexual abuse. I can't begin to tell you what it all was, but there was a big mix master going on with uh, thrown in with a little alcohol uh, that by the time I was 42 years old, I had sat down with my wife and said, here's what's been happening. Uh, we need to divorce and I need to change genders. I remember the first time I kissed her lips as my Heart began to flip all, more convictions beginning to rip by. Grab the hips and kiss the bottom lips because I always wanted to try it. For many years, the enemy infiltrated my thoughts with homosexual merchandise and that day I decided to buy it, but he tricked me. He had me thinking I could just try it one time to see what it was like and I could move on, but it didn't work like that. One year into me, him, hers, relationship, my gender did a flip like that. Sports 
Brawls over breast white, beater over chest white, tea over rest now the organs that qualify me as a woman lay flat as my back was turned to the king. I'm wearing boxes as if I got something dangling in between, but nope, I'm still a queen. It seems that the outward exterior is often shaped by the inward with the skill of our self-esteem and minds was low. thoughts of mine. I remember they started with some genitals was stuffed into my mouth at the age of five. I'm growing up wondering I'm crushing on girls when I know it's natural to like guys. My heart's steadily being hardened cause no guy went an eye for an eye just thighs. Daddy kept saying hi then by then hi. Now I can't, no I can't, now I can't trust guys in my D-A-D-D-Y just up and died on me. His Funeral was the last time I stepped foot into a church. I refused to deal with the eyes looking down on this deep-voiced masculine girl, yet couldn't see past my face to pray, past the pants falling past my waist, past the fitted caps and the braids, past the past hurt to my heart that pattern this ex-stud standing before you today. All I wanted was a hug. All I needed was someone to tell me of God's love and the delivering power of his blood shed for the lost. I had to realize how 1 Peter 2.24 lets me know how he became me on that cross, a stud, so that I would be able to die to this sin and live for righteousness, yet then again this flesh of man was enjoying itself. Even though the laws of truth were written on my heart, I still chose to choose. I still chose to choose to deny him, and if I didn't repent of my sin and trust in him, and this heart inside my chest stopped beating, 20 billion years would have went by and I still would have been frying. I remember the first time I bought my first cyberskin strap on. I paid $135 because it was made to feel real. Even though I couldn't feel that thrill, it was a mental thing. I became a touch-me-not because I knew that if the big clothes I was hiding behind came off and she touched that spot, my masculine voice would drop and the femininity naturally placed inside of me would be easy to spot, so I had to keep it covered. <laughs> I remember when I was done using that strapped on that I strapped on and it was time for me to use the restroom I still had to sit down to pee. What a reality check. I never knew it would get this deep But when I opened up that door, I completely fell in the scales covering my eyes just got thicker The darkness made no room for the light I actually started to consider hell in exchange for her being my wifey Then one day the Lord spoke to me. He said she will be the death of you In that moment the scripture for the wages of sin equal death finally clicked. As much as I thought that I loved him, my eternity wasn't worth that chick. My eternity wasn't worth that hit. My eternity was only worth having faith in what Christ did alone. As my wooden nose of sin grew long because of me lying to myself. Instead of me dying to myself, I was willing to die for myself. There was no blue fairy whispering in my ear. Only the devil and me telling me what I wanted to hear. There was no Geppetto pulling on my strings. I attached myself to them things. Being pulled and manipulated by my flesh and them spiritual beings. The more my wood of sin would grow, I could see it in my face. I can see the wood in my face. I can see them stretched out on the wood in my face being the disgrace for the sin I was committing in his face even though I saw his blood on the wood in my face seeing taking the wrath of the father on the wood in my place I still spat in his face but his grace is sufficient 
wished I could be a real boy. My name is not Pinocchio. I'm just me, and he's just he, the real G-O-D. And he's willing to set free all those that are really in need. I know that some may say that they were born that way, but no, my friend, you were not born gay. worship on Sunday afternoon. We take on the task of pasting together every piece of her that's been broken, and when we leave, those pieces that we held onto so tightly in our hands fall to the floor, patiently waiting on the next person to come through the door, leaving her even more broken than she was before. I know you may be thinking, man, this is me, this is who I am, but the thing is, it's really not. All the girls' clothes and etc. is just a lackluster substitute for what you really need. God. Amen. See, every feminine quality, every beautiful curve, every little thing that makes you a woman that you despise was given to you for the glory of God. Only if you can see with his eyes, you will see how beautiful you really are. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are On the next video in this series, I'm going to talk more specifics about how you can begin to minister to people in the LGBT community. But I just want to say a couple of quick thoughts about transgender people and when you encounter people who struggle with profound gender dysphoria. First is be firm in your conviction that God's design is best for that person and that the supernatural power of the gospel can change people's desires, urges, and identity. This is so important, conviction. We worked in the first few teachings on the issue of conviction, getting clear about what the Bible teaches on issues related to same-sex relationships. 
So we want to be clear about that. We also want to have conviction, though, about the power of the gospel to transform and change people's lives. If you go on YouTube and you watch these testimonies that I've highlighted here, you watch them in their entirety, I think one of the threads you're going to see is that each one of them, when they encountered the real Lord Jesus Christ, they repented of believing these lies about their gender. They were they were changed. They were transformed. Maybe not instantly, but once their allegiance to Jesus changed, Jesus brought in a lot of change in their lives. So don't discount the supernatural power of the gospel to change people's urges and desires. The second point I want to leave you with, while you're waiting for the Lord to work in that person's life, while you're speaking care and love and grace and truth into their lives that we're going to talk about in the next episode. Be generous in your compassion for them. Many trans people have been through a lot. As you can see in those clips, those people had been through a lot of very painful, often abusive experiences. So be generous in your compassion and your care for them. Um, They've probably experienced even significant trauma. So when you're ministering to them and you're talking to them, don't focus on where all their dysfunction is and how they're presenting themselves to the world right then. Focus on asking the Lord to give you a prophetic vision for that person of who they're going to be in the future and begin to speak life into them and invite them into your gender. If you're a guy, and you see a guy who's confused about his gender and he's cross-dressing as a woman, invite him into your manhood. Invite him to be your friend and hang out with you so that he has a safe man in his life. Maybe he's never had a safe man in his life. If you're friends with a woman who's cross-dressing as a man or self-identifying as a man, don't focus on the outward appearance. Keep inviting her into womanhood. And womanhood and manhood can take on a lot of different expressions. It doesn't have to fall into stereotypes. But what we want to do is help people really build a Christ-centered vision of their identity. And um, we're not helping them by going along with these ideas of separating gender and sex. I know it looks compassionate. I know that many people want us to believe that is a compassionate route, to go the progressive route. But I'm hoping that you can see in the montages that we just watched that the more compassionate thing to do is to begin to speak life, truth, grace, hope, and healing and freedom, real freedom, into these people's lives. The power of the gospel is what they need. They do not need us going along with this narrative that they can self-identify and customize themselves any way they want. That's not helpful to them. What's really helpful to them is to be a strong stand of conviction and compassion for, for them and really listen to the Lord. And having him help guide your steps in how you minister to these people in your life. More about that in our final episode. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.